Blog Talk Radio. You're listening live to an edition of ATL Prime Sports. Todd Quarter here in Atlanta. No JJ today, no Wayne. It's me and Mark Mancini. Mark producing the show and co-hosting from Los Angeles. Uh, you can get a hold of us all at ATL Prime Sports. Myself at Quarter Todd. JJ, JJ, get you one. Wayne at RWY Junior. And Mark at Mancini at Mancini Media. Our uh, special guest today is Leanne Herring. She is the director of recruiting at the Rebel Walk. She's also the senior editor of Main Event Sports Radio, and she's also a content writer and covers the National Football League. And Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. We'll go ahead and get started with our first game. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow night at Tampa Bay. Dallas Dak is back after his injury last year. The defense was atrocious. Now they're playing the Super Bowl champions in the GOAT. In Tampa Bay, big task for Dallas. Uh, they're an eight-and-a-half-point uh, underdog. How do you see this game coming out? Man, it's going to be a real tough one for Dallas, uh, like you said, with the defense. But let's talk a little bit about them. Them traveling to Tampa Bay, like you said, uh, defending Super Bowl champions. They say in football, it's a lot where your matches are, but more importantly, how quickly your opponents can expose those weaknesses. And the Dallas Cowboys sure do have a lot of weaknesses that they're going to have to really make up for. And they're coming off a really disappointing season. You know, like we said, Dak Prescott is back. He seems to be fully recovered from his uh, from his broken lower leg. However, the Cowboys are going to have really two significant issues on the O-line. Of course, they're going to be without left tackle Tyrone Smith. He's questionable for the game. And more importantly, they're going to be without their all-pro guard, Zach Martin, uh, due to COVID protocol. These are two significant obstacles that the offense, if they didn't already have enough, are going to be faced. And, like, when you hear, you know, Zeke Elliott talk about it, how significant and vital uh, Zach Martin is to that, to that front line for them, taking that out is going to be a huge, huge difference on their, on their game tomorrow. Now, going on the other side of the ball, that, that Dallas Cowboy defense, you just already mentioned it. I believe last year they came in at 28th in scoring, uh, scoring allowed, and there's only 32 NFL teams, so you can do the math there just exactly where they stand, and it is at the very bottom of points allowed by their opponent. Um, you know, and they're going to have to face the number three best scoring offense in 2020 in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, which, you know, can hit you and they can cut you in the air and they can cut you in the ground, you know, with Mike Evans and Gronk and Goodwin. And also we can't forget Antonio Brown on that bus offense, you know, and the team can also cut you apart on the ground game with running backs like Fournette and Ronald Jones the second. You know, all of these pieces are going to be huge mismatches for the Dallas Cowboys in this game. And like I said, having to face the team that's the eighth best scoring defense in 2020. And another significant part is, like I said, the Cowboys have a lot of questions, especially on that O-line where you have the Bucks on the opposite side of the spectrum that are returning 11 starters on offense and defense, which is really unprecedented considering the day, day and age of free agency right now. Like that's I said, you basically have point. a talent. That's an excellent point, Leanne. I, um, uh, that is a great point. You don't see that. It's been a long time, I believe, uh, the last Super Bowl champion to get uh, all 22 returning. Uh, it was in the 70s, and it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pittsburgh in the 70s. Um, let's go on to the other game. I only got about two minutes on each one. Philadelphia and Atlanta. Uh, you know, the Falcons, they got Matt Ryan back. No Julio Jones. 
Uh, the Eagles, their quarterback situation, they'll be going former Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts. They did pick up Minshew from Jacksonville, but the RPO hurt Atlanta last January. That's one thing that you got to, the Falcons are going to have to stop. How do you see this one coming out? Man, like you said, it's, it's going to be two teams. The Falcons, you know, having a lot – I mean, they have a great franchise quarterback and, and Ryan and, a, and Matt Ryan, and like you said, and then you got Jalen Hurst on the other side. I think it's going to come down, like I said, to uh, to put it to being more productive in defensive fronts. I think a lot of these teams in this first game uh, – this is the one game that I didn't break down too, too much on this one. I, I broke down Pittsburgh and Bills instead. But, you know, I, I, like, uh, I like Philly. I like Philly in this one. Um, I think Atlanta won't be too far behind, but I think that they still have a lot of the pieces. You guys mentioned it, you know, having a backup quarterback. You all mentioned, uh, was it last show, about possibly Cam Newton and things. I think Atlanta always has the pieces of the puzzle. They just don't gel well in there. And, you know, I think I'm going to have to go with Philly on this one. Well, you, you know what? We all picked the Falcons, but uh, we'll see. That's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, Darren Sproles is going to be a handful to stop. Let's see if the Falcons can stop the 35-yard or 35-year-old running back, and let's see if that Falcons offensive line can keep Matt right, Matt Ryan upright because he get you know that that old line gave up over 40 sacks last year. Let's go on to the Jets and Panthers. This is the Sam Darnold Bowl. It'll be Sam Darnold versus his old team, and the Jets. They've got the number one pick with Wilson at quarterback. How do you see this one shaking out? Uh, Jets and Panthers. Like I said, uh, I wish I would have. I wish I would have done these two games. Like I said, Pittsburgh and Bills. Um, Jets and uh, Jets and Panthers. Like you said, uh, it's going to be an interest. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, again, uh, I wish I would have been better prepared as far as the staff on both the teams and everything. Uh, Jets and Panthers. Let's see. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with the Jets on this one. I'm going to take my upstate teams. I just like I said, you got you got a new quarterback. You got that number one. You want to see how they're going to shake it off. How they looked in the offseason. I think this first game is still going to be. You got to gel the wheels and everything. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with the Jets on this one. All right, uh, let's go with the Packers and the Saints in Jacksonville. As you know, the Saints are going to have to relocate because of the hurricane. They will not be able to play it in the Superdome. Uh, the Saints have a new quarterback this year, Jameis Winston. He came off uh, 2019 throwing 30 interceptions to Tampa Bay. His last pass that season was to an Atlanta Falcon for pick six, which ended the season. Uh, Jameis will, will, uh, Winston will be the Saints quarterback. Uh, you know, no longer Drew Brees is there for the Packers. We know who they've got. They've got Aaron Rodgers, and you know this is a um, this is a huge game. You know, a lot of expectations in Green Bay. Your thoughts on this? I think this is another for both teams. It's emotional. It's going to be one of those emotional games. Yes, you have all the football changes in both of them, but you know the, the Packer with Aaron Rodgers, especially they've had a you know, an uphill road as far as, you know, keeping him and those things. So I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to play out. I'm going to go ahead and go with the Saints on this one. I say this is a real emotional game. I think the Saints always play well, especially given the fact that everything that's gone now with NOLA, with Hurricane Ida and all that. The Saints usually are a good team to rally on. And Jameis Winston last, you know, last week really showed, you know, that kid's when, you know, people remember him, of course, you know, for his highs and stuff, and of course, you know, some of those things off the field, but I think he's finally come into his own, and I think he's found it with the Saints, and I think just they're going to gel really well, and I and he's going to carry that team, so I'm going to go with the Saints on that one. All right, we'll go now to, you, you know, before we go to the Steelers and the Bills, Aaron Rodgers needs 10 touchdown passes this season to move into fifth all-time. He currently ranks seven, 
at 412. We'll see how many games it takes him to get that. And then we'll go to our last matchup, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Buffalo, a six-and-a-half point favorite. There was questions whether T.J. Watt was going to play, but according to Mike Tomlin, he expects him to play. He has been practicing with the team. He's been at camp due to a contract uh, situation. They're trying to re-sign him, but he's been there individually working out. He's in great shape. Pittsburgh, the big six-and-a-half dog, like I said. Uh, we all know about uh, the great quarterback of the Bills, uh, Josh Allen, but this is Ben Roethlisberger. He's, he's 40 years old. He's got a sour taste in his mouth after getting eliminated by Cleveland last year. A lot of folks don't agree with me, but I see a resurgent Pittsburgh team that has a very good defense, and they're going to get after um, Josh Allen uh, this uh, this Sunday. What do you think? Uh, I'm, right, I'm right there with you. Like I said, the Steelers may be on the road traveling to Orchard Park. They The Steelers started out 10-0 last season. Down the stretch, you know, they, they went 5-6. and six, And like you mentioned, that Cleveland Browns game in the opening round of the playoffs, losing to them left a real sour sour taste in their mouth you know they, they are going to have a significant loss at one of their two at one of their you know two linebacker spots um you know, they lose bud dupree of course the free agency to the titans you talked about tj watt but it looks like he like i said he's now they're going to be their only proven pass rusher and as we all know the steelers have always been known over the last you know over 20 years since they were their coward um you know when they had kevin green the hall of famer and greg Lloyd out there they've always been known to always have those dynamic pair of outside linebackers so it's going to be really interesting to see that shift that they're going to make on defense with T.J. Watt being, you know, the only proven outside linebacker. But I think that they're going to adjust real well. And like I said, when you play that 3-4 defense, you want both outside pass rushers to combine between 20 and 24. And, you know, we talk about that defense, but we also need to talk about the Steelers' upgrade on that offense. When they went out there and they got one of the best running backs last year in the draft in Najee Harris out of Alabama, I think that's going to make them more productive. And it's going to be a, a big boost because, like I said, last year I believe they were the third worst run offense in the NFL. So, And they do bring that scoring defense. So I think this season they bring a lot you know, more balance. And you got the Buffalo Bills. You said it. It's all about progression out there in Orchard Park. They took a huge win. They took a huge step in the program, winning their first divisional since 95. Josh Allen took an extremely productive productive progression. First two seasons, he went 60 per completion, and then, 60, and then, you know, last year, 69 completion, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. And also, the Bills' production on defense is one of the best in the NFL. And the question here is, can the Steelers put enough pressure to keep this game close? And can Ben be able to, you know, be productive behind that rebuilt O-line and make enough plays to pull it off in the end? And I think, and uh, like you said, I think that the Big Ben's got a chip on his shoulder. I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers have, you know, put some key components in, in upgrading on that offense and, and becoming more balanced, not in just the pass, but in the run. And I think that Ben Roethlisberger showed last season how well he plays in the beginning of the beginning of the year, and he looks really good on off season. So um, I know that the Bills are favored, but I'm going to take the points, and I'm going to go a bit of a shocker here, and I'm going to take the Steelers um, on the road. Um, by six and a half. Well, you know what, Leanne? Pittsburgh's only had three coaches since the early 70s. Uh, you know, so this is a franchise that gets the job done. Chuck Knoll, obviously Bill Cower, and now uh, Mike Tomlin. Uh, I, 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 I'm with you. I think Pittsburgh gets it done, and I know our producer's with you, too. He's a Pittsburgh guy. So we'll see about that. We'll see about all these games, and we'll see if the Falcons get off to the – uh, get off to the right start here against Philadelphia. It'll be an interesting matchup. They're all very interesting matchups. Thanks so much. You did a great job. Thank you for coming on the show today. 
and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. We'll talk to you about Old Miss. We'll talk to you about recruiting, and we'll get you back on in the near future, okay? Sounds good. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you, too. You take care. That's Leanne Herring, Director of Recruiting at the Rebel Walk, covers Old Miss Sports, Senior Editor at Main Event Sports Radio, and also a content writer for the National Football League, and she's on the road quite a bit. And I'm sure she's heading up to the Dallas-Tampa game uh, tomorrow uh, from South Texas. Thank you, Leanne, for coming on. It's me and Mark Mancini. The rest of the show, uh, Mark from Los Angeles. I'm sitting here in Atlanta. We're live here on ATL Prime Sports. And let's switch over from the National Football League and let's go to baseball. Mark, it was a great day for baseball today. They had the Hall of Fame Commissioner Marvin Miller, a fantastic commissioner, was inducted. Of course, he passed away, so Donald Fear gave his, um, uh, you know, spoke for him. And then, of course, the famous uh, Brewers, uh, Cardinals, and Braves catcher Ted Simmons, who went in as a Cardinal. And you know what? Ted Simmons, Mark, was a guy that started analytics before analytics got started. And, of course, the outfielder uh, Larry Walker, a five-tool player, Started his career in Montreal. He wasn't even drafted. He had to sort of walk on. And then he, you know, ended up his career with the Rockies, and he went in with a Rockies cap. And, of course, we're saving the best for last. Derek Sampson Jeter, who played 20 years for the New York Yankees. You know, when you look at um, Derek's career, Mark, you started off in 96 with a Jeffrey Mayer homer versus Baltimore. And, and, and the 2000 Subway Series against the, the, the uh, Mets, the flip against the A's in 01, Mr. November uh, against the Diamondbacks in 01, uh, you know, the dive against Boston uh, July 1st, 2004, the stadium farewell base hit. Of course, it would be hit to right field, that Jeterian swing. The Yankees, uh, you know, hit King back in September of 09. You know, the fifth ring back in November of 09, that was against the Phillies. You know, it was 3,000 hit off the Rays, off David Price. That was a home run. 1996 World Series against Atlanta and 99 to beat the Braves twice. You know, when I think of Derek Jeter, Mark, and I read all these big moments, I think big-time player, big moments, probably the best clutch player I've ever seen the play, uh, ever seen the Ever see anybody see you play this game? Your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, the, the most iconic play that Derek Jeter ever did was, I think, in that 2001 American League Division Series between the Yankees and A's. Right. You know, well, Oakland held a, a 2 nothing lead in the best of that five series, but trailed one nothing in the seventh inning. When it was known as the flip, when uh, Jeter kind of flipped around and got Giambi coming across, I think that was uh, the uh, most defining play uh, ever for a shortstop in a game like that. And you're right, Derek Jeter. And I've seen quite a few great shortstops over the years. The Ozzie Smiths, you know, and, 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 and you know, we can, you know, Gary Templeton's, and the list can go on and on, the Bucky Dents. But, boy, Derek Jeter had to be uh, unbelievably one of the best I ever saw. Well, I mean, Mark, all the moments, the clutch when the game was on the line, I never saw a player come through like Derek Jeter. And you and each, each, you, both of us have mentioned the flip against the A's in 2001. They were wondering if Jason Giambi was out. 
I have no doubt Masada made the tag. I mean, to have the instincts to make that play to come from the shortstop position, come between the pitcher's mound and first base, and down the first baseline between, you know, between home plate and first base, get the ball and flip it, seeing the throw coming from the right field corner, uh, you know, from Paul O'Neill, that happened to be the last year of his fabulous career with the Yankees. You know, just to be able to have the instincts to pick it up on the one hop and flip it for Posada to make the tag in the plate. I mean, he's just clutch. I mean, we could do a whole show on Derek Jeter, you know, diving in the stands against Boston. We mentioned that. The Jeffrey Mayer home run. I mean, Mark, it's just incredible. And, and Mark, the way he carried himself in New York, he didn't have one controversy. Not one. Not one. He was pure class. His speech today was tremendous. He thanked his family. And, you know, he, he emphasized his family in this, in this speech. He said he learned all, all about baseball from his father and how to behave on and off the field, and I thought it was a wonderful tribute. Well, I, I know by the time I interviewed him, and the one thing that I pulled from it was he said there's two roads you can travel and write. I, I like to travel the one that's, uh, you know, a lot of people don't travel down. And I think when you see what happens when you're given big money, you know, a lot of things can change you, you know. Uh, but this guy was, you know, uh, he, he was a determined individual who was grounded. I mean, he, uh, you know, when you look at the Yankees back then, you know, you looked at Joe Torre managing them. And, and I don't care if Don Mattingly didn't play for Joe Torre. I don't even care if you go back to Ron Guidry. I think to a man, and it's nothing to knock the Ralph Houks and, and – you know, the show Walters and everyone after that. But, you know, when I look at Joe Torre, I think he was the common influence uh, with the Yankees, and it just carried over to the field. And when you saw all these guys like Mariano Rivera and everything, they just had a common effect. They just, you know, the earplugs in the ears, the ice in the veins, and they looked at the naysayers like pylons. They just went around them. No doubt about it. I mean, that was an organization, uh, you know, that carried itself – with nothing but class. I mean, George Steinbrenner expected the Yankees to play hard, whether it was game three or game 158. He, you know, he expects the players to go in, look like ball players, shave. You know, Derek Jeter wasn't shaved today, and he said, and, and they asked him, he said, you always shaved your whole life, and you always wanted to play for the Yankees your whole life. And, and he goes, I know. I had to shave every other day with the Yankees. If I didn't, I would hear about it. They said, well, why the beard now? He said, COVID. I just got lazy. <laughs> I just left. It looks like he kept it. And, and now with his career with the Marlins, I mean, wow. I mean, he, you know, they made the playoffs last year. It hasn't been a good year uh, for Miami. But I expect that franchise to get better. He's doing a good job. Uh, they're getting younger players. And they have an excellent manager, Marty um, Mattingly. You just need the horses to win. Well, not only that, when you look at it, you know, I think of Magic Johnson, who was a great basketball player, you know, uh, in the NBA, and then he became a coach, and he he, didn't, he couldn't get the people to buy into the system. And the first thing, when I look at Derek Jeter down there in Florida, you know, you're expecting the Marlins to be, you know, uh, on the top of the standings here. And I know they had a nice run last year in the COVID uh, year, but I just don't understand the players not buying into a system like this 
You can absorb it like a sponge when you learn from the magics, when you learn from the cheaters. I'd be sitting in this guy's office at least three days a week uh, to try to learn more and more and more to be a better ball player. And, and, and it's a different ball player, I think, today than it was when, when these guys played. And it's sad because you can take that and run with it and build on that. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, <laughs> Derek Jeter, just the way he carried about him, he carried about himself, how he went about it, knows his own business. And, you know, he was in charge of that clubhouse. He swung a big stick. It was a silent stick. Um, he was the leader of the Yankees. He was the captain. And the Yankees don't give out captains like they hand out candy. I mean, you just – they don't. And, and, and the way – I mean, gosh, he got a standing ovation in Fenway Park in Boston. The Red Sox fans, they hate the Yankees. But he carries himself with such class. They can't hate, they can't hate him, and they gave him a standing ovation. Right, and that's the thing. And when you look at guys that have played in New York, uh, you know, you, you think of guys that couldn't survive that New York limelight. Uh, case in point was Ed Whitson. When you looked at, uh, you know, the late uh, Hideki uh, Rabu, I mean, these guys just couldn't grasp it. And it's sad when you come to the Big Apple, uh, you know, it, it swallows you, it eats you up. And we, we've seen this even in hockey. Armir Yager came to the – you know, from a small uh, city in Pittsburgh to the Rangers. And, you know, and, and then some can grasp it, but then the others, I don't know what it is. I haven't quite put my finger on it. I don't know if it's the bright lights, big city, and you get more money, but they just they seem to get swallowed up like in a manhole or something. Well, you know what? It, it, it just, it was a great day for baseball. There is a lot of pressure playing in New York. And the way Derek did it is the way all players should do it and I mean to win five championships in your career and what you won at 96 you didn't win at 97 you lost to Cleveland the division round you won at 98 against San Diego 99 against the Braves 96 against the Braves 2000 in Subway Series against the Mets I remember when uh, Steinbrenner was you know really nervous and Jeter said George uh, he goes boss we got this. We got this. And sure enough, the home run, his home run there in Shea Stadium set the tone for the series. They did lose it in 0-1 against the Diamondbacks. That was the 12-time bouncer off Mariano Rivera that, you know, won it for the Diamondbacks. And they had Schilling. And, uh, you know, they did a great job, Schilling and Randy Johnson on that team. And then, of course, oh, what, 0-3 the Yankees lost to the uh, Marlins. And Miguel Cabrera, who came up and, you know, was a rookie and came up and had a great series. And, of course, they won it in 09 against the Phillies. Let's move over from the AL East and Derek Jeter to the NL East and the hometown Atlanta Braves. You know, this race is turning out to be a really good one. You know, two in the loss column, that's all that separates the teams. And, you know, we got about, what, 20-something games to go and change and, the Braves have done a really good job of weathering the storm at the top of the lineup with Ronald Acuna out. They stuck Ozzy Al Albies there, and he's been fantastic. The Braves have six players with 20-plus home runs this season, and you know, all four starting in, uh, infielders have 20-plus. Freeman, Albies, um, Swanson, and, of course, um, uh, Riley, they all have 20-plus homers. 
they've just done a really good job of got, getting Jock Peterson to fill in. He's got like 16 or 17. They've done a good job piecemealing the lineup in Acuna's absence. Well, I do, but I, I, I said this before in quite a few shows, and I'll stick with this. The advantage the Phillies have is they don't have to come out to the West Coast again, and the Braves just came back from the West Coast, and it was kind of dismal getting swept by uh, – you know, the Dodgers and, and pretty much splitting with the Rockies there. But, you know, they go right back out in another week or so. Uh, they'll be going to Arizona, San Francisco, and San Diego. So the, the Phillies can, you know, kind of beat up on these Colorados and, you know, the uh, Chicagos and the Orioles and get the Pirates. But the last week of the season, if, if the Phillies are within striking distance, they can kind of control it. They'll have the Mets and the uh, the Braves there. So, I think the Phillies are sitting in a great position now. The only question is, do they have the arsenal to take out the Braves if the Braves have to go 3,000 miles to the west again? Hard to tell. Does Philadelphia end the season against Atlanta? Is that right? I believe they do. Uh, I believe they do. The Phillies are three back in the loss column. Atlanta's two and a half ahead. That was my mistake. I thought it was two games. But, you know, we we started, we talked about the Atlanta bats, but the pitching with Charlie Morton, they just signed him to an extension. Max Freed doing well. Drew Smiley doing real well. Uh, Yona coming back from his injury. And, you know, Ian Anderson. So, you know, this is the team that Atlanta happens to win this division, and they're far from it. They could be a surprise in the playoffs. They have starting pitching depth. They have a good lineup. They don't hit for average, but they have a lot of power. And, and you know, the bullpen is, is, is writing itself lately uh, with Jackson and Smith at the end. So, you know, this is, a, this is a roster that if they do get in the tournament, Mark, they could do well, and we'll have to see. I'm, I'm really excited. Like you mentioned, the Braves, they've got, you know, they got that big road trip. and You know, they've got, what, uh, two with Washington, three with Miami three with Colorado, then go to Frisco, go to Arizona, go to San Diego. Yeah, right, that'll be a big West Coast trip. They do end the season with the Mets. They do have the Phillies on the 28th, 29th, and 30th. Right. And they do have the Mets on the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of October. So we'll see how it works out. Those six games are huge. They're all huge now. They all count equally. And it'll be really interesting to see where it all shakes out. You know, we're kind of counting out the Mets. They're five back in the loss column, four in the standings. What happens if the Mets get within, you know, three games in the last part of the season? The division could be decided there. And Mark, who would have thought, when I look at the, the race in the National League, who would have thought that, um, that um, you know, that the Phillies are only two back for the wild card? That, that's the stunner. I mean, one of these two teams, Mark, if they don't win the division, they can still win the wild card. I mean, San Diego and, and Cincinnati are virtually tied. San Diego's up on a one on the loss column. Heck, St. Louis is only three and a half out of the wild card, and the Mets are the four and a half out of the wild card. This is far from decided, my friend. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't take a team that's 500 right now very serious, and I'm not taking the Mets serious to get back in this, even though they're, you know, uh, uh, right in the thick of things. There's too many teams you got to catch. 
So you got to try to win the division if you can, because I think the Padres, it's going to be a lock. I'm going to call it now, and I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of people in Cincinnati and, and Philadelphia and New York might say, well, wait a minute, but I'm going to tell you right now, the Padres will figure out a way. they got the toughest schedule down the stretch to secure that last wild card. But if the Dodgers drop into that wild card, uh, they're going to have their hands full because the Dodgers, with a one game, you know, the, the Padres are playing on house money. They don't have the big payroll that the Dodgers got. you got to beat the Padres. you got to get the Giants after that. And let's not kid ourselves. Milwaukee and Philly are going to probably battle it out, or Milwaukee and Atlanta, and Milwaukee can handle either one of those teams. they got horses at the beginning of the rotation. they got three guys that can throw darts at the back end of that rotation uh, in the bullpen. So the Dodgers would probably have to go through Milwaukee. And then if you get through all that, you'd have to get through the World Series. So uh, good luck if the Dodgers drop into that wild card. They're going to earn it this year, no doubt about it. Two points. we got about two minutes left, I believe. Um, Here's the thing. Atlanta, the reason they're in first place is they won 13 in a row on the road, and they got hot. They were scuffing around 500. What happens to the Mets without DeGrom? I don't think they're going to do it. All somebody's got to do is get hot here and win about eight or nine in a row, and the dominoes fall. That's one. Two, Mark, thank you for telling me we have a minute left. Two, San Diego has the eighth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. They have the eighth highest payroll. So the Padres have spent a boatload of money. They're, they have pressure to get in the tournament. Yes, the Dodgers, they're big payroll, but, Mark, they have done so well. They've been so good consistently. They remind me of the Braves in the 90s, and let's see if they can get the second championship. You're right, going through all these tier playoffs, it's not fair for San Francisco or the Dodgers to have to play this one-game playoff. I don't like it. Hopefully they'll change it next year, but we will see. We're out of time. Mark, thanks so much for uh, being my uh, co-host today and, of course, for producing the show for Wayne. And, and we'll all be back next week. We'll also um, we'll have some more guests on the show, and, and uh, we'll talk some more Major League Baseball. We'll talk college football. We'll talk the NFL. I want to say thank you to all the college football fans that came out to the games this weekend to make life feel normal again. You're the best. Keep doing it. I went to the Louisville Ole Miss game. I'm going to keep going to games. You do too. So for Todd Corner in Atlanta, Mark Mancini in Los Angeles, have a great week, everybody. 